Well, good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be with you all to come to worship together. And, uh, you know, I think we could all just rest in that place of God's presence, um, dwelling on the amazing things that God's done for us um, for a period longer. But we also need to get into the Word as well. Um, So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to highlight your Word here this morning and help us to apply the Gospel to our hearts, to our minds, and to our practice, as Paul teaches us in Colossians 3, 1 to 10. So let us read that together. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. So I've called this sermon, Walking with Christ, High Places, Monsters, and Roses. And I'm going to leave you to figure that out. The first metaphor of high places comes right from verse 1. Drawing on the Colossians' salvation and experiences, Paul says, since you have been raised with Christ. And what a statement that is in itself. We have been raised with Christ. We have been set free from sin and death and raised to high places with him. This building is full of people testifying to such salvation experiences of being gloriously rescued from meaningless and hopelessness to fulfillment and light in the kingdom of God. This was my experience on the 31st of March, 2005. That night, I came into the truth, meaning, and purpose that is ours in Christ. And it's on this basis of salvation and having been raised with Christ that Paul teaches us to apply the gospel to our lives. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, in another place, your minds on things above, to where Christ is. So what do our hearts and minds have to do with living Christian lives, you might ask? I know that I'm a bit wary of mere goal setting in relation to faith, but we set our hearts on Uh, passing exams, on becoming great parents, on our careers, or even on winning uh, World Walker Armour Championships. How much more helpful is it for us to set our hearts and minds on the things of Christ? When I did a defensive driving course, the instructor told us to look where we wanted to drive. He told us, 
The key to picking the right speed is to look through the corner where you're about to drive. He told us that a lot of car crashes end in cars wrapped around power poles. The one place people wouldn't want to end up. The reason is that they are driving and looking at the power pole saying, don't hit the power pole, don't hit the power pole, don't hit the power pole. And guess where they end up? Hitting the power pole. Our focus affects our practice. So too with the things of God. If we are to live Christian lives, we need to be focused on the things above, the things of Christ. He has achieved victory. He has overcome sin. He is in a place of rest. Focusing on these things will direct our lives and our practice in the right direction. You know, there's a lot of drama and temptations out there in the world. There's a lot that can get us distracted. Surrounding us are instances of unfaithfulness, of substance abuse and domestic violence. Covering the news are married at first sight scandals, articles of political unrest, and rumors of war. And if you're anything like me, you don't even want to know all the bad things that go on in the world. But Christ has conquered it all. Having lived a perfect life in triumph over evil, Christ now sits in this place of honor. He is seated at rest and in control. If we have been made right with God through Christ, we no longer have to worry about evil. We have peace. We have his life. And not only for ourselves, but for the world. So Christ is not standing, pacing the floors of heaven. Above all powers and dominions, he stands. He sits at the right hand of the Father and his work is completed. We don't need to dwell on our sins any longer. Our hearts can rest, looking forward to the secure place for us in heaven. We have sound minds in Jesus. We have been raised with Christ and our lives are hidden in him. They are concealed in a place of safety and rest in Christ. Our old lives have been buried. Our new lives are identified with him, where we will join him in glory at his return. This is what we can focus on. It's from this place of rest, peace and security that we can properly deal with the challenges and hurdles that come our way. It's upon this foundation we can have courage to take the monsters that would raise their ugly heads in our lives. The monsters I'm talking about is our sinful nature. In verse 5, Paul instructs us to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly natures. It's kind of shocking thinking about a sinful nature inside of us, Christians, but we are not immune. (laughs) There's none perfect, not even one. If you've been a Christian any longer than five minutes, you'll know what I'm talking about. The saying, old habits die hard is true. Our old natures keep wanting to come back to life in us. Because of this, we need to keep putting any earthly nature in us to death, verse 9. 
We've got to put those zombies back where they came from, slay those monsters that keep trying to come back from the dead in us. So it's a bit like a horror movie, right? After victoriously putting the evil monster to death, out of nowhere, an ugly monster starts smashing through the casket, reaching to the air above the ground. It's not something we would expect to happen, like to happen, and yet this drama is going right, going on right in front of us in our very lives. Our old selves have been put to death and they are supposed to stay in the grave, but they do not want to. They want to get out of that diet, dusty, tight uh, casket they're in and take the reins in our lives. While we don't need to dwell on our sins after becoming a Christian, there is a sinful nature we need to be aware of and deal with. For these reasons, we need ongoing as well as initial salvation. We need God's continued grace in our lives, helping us overcome and deal with sin. Just because we have sinned doesn't mean we are no longer a Christian, but we mustn't allow our monster selves to hold on to the reins. We must wrestle them back to the ground, putting them back in the grave where they belong. So there's nothing more annoying for me than having an enemy you cannot see or knowing where they are. I am really glad, therefore, that Paul enlightens us about what monsters to look out for. His first list details sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. You might notice that a lot of these relate to the passions of our hearts. Greed, wanting more of something that is healthy or required. Lust, unrestrained passions over earthly things. Evil desires and impurity, speaking for themselves. And finally, sexual immorality. The second list also begins with the things of the heart and mind, which can turn us into monsters. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. These are our enemies. And because they all come back to the heart and mind, we need to deal with them first in our hearts and minds. And we can do this by bringing them back to the cross. At the cross, we have found forgiveness for our sins. At the cross, we have gained peace. At the cross, we have experienced unconditional love. We have been valued and treasured. You are valued and treasured. Because of his value and treasure for us, we can think good thoughts of others. We can forgive and show respect. Our anger, our rage can be brought to the cross. Our thoughts can be purified and washed. It's good news. And we can gain a proper reign over our words in regards to other people. We have a mental stronghold in Christ. Because of this, we need to keep putting any earthly nature in us to death. Verse 9, we've got to put those zombies back where they came from and slay those monsters that keep trying to come back to life in us. So once I was struggling with a bit of doubt, and a friend gave me a great response and discussion with how to deal with it. Replace doubt with truth. Life is generally not all that neutral. Evil stands in direct confrontation 
with goodness. So how we can stop thinking and lusting after other things is firstly by thinking on heavenly things, the things above. Thinking on the completed work of Christ and on heavenly places. And if we can do this, we can turn the tide on our spiritual battle. The point in regards to these things is for us to purify our hearts, our minds, and way of life in terms of greed, lust, and immorality. This is the kind of life we were subscribed to before Christ. Our lives on the inside or outside were like the drama of Married at First Sight. We used and abused God's good creation for our own twisted purposes, even our own bodies. And our passage says that against these things, God's wrath is coming against evil. But Christ has called us his own, purifying us and giving us an amazing gift of righteousness. He has endowed us with great honor and value. And because of the great value that God has placed on us, we respond in love to God, sharing in the good fight participating in his victorious life. So the first key to winning our battles is setting our hearts and our minds on heavenly things. Most of our battles are first won in that place. But we cannot ignore our practice. This is the third piece of the puzzle, making a strong triangle of application for all you engineers out there. We cannot just separate our way of life from the state of our minds and his hearts, our hearts as much as we would sometimes like to. We cannot separate our way of life from the state of our minds and hearts as much as we would sometimes like. Which is why Christ is essential for us. This is where the rubber hits the road. Without him, we are lost. With Christ, we can gain victory in areas of our lives. Through his grace, we can conquer sin and we can win. So Paul mentions four vices which particularly relate to our practice. The first three are slander, filthy language, and lies. These all come out of our lips. You can't just slander another person just by thinking it. You cannot have filthy language just in your mind. You cannot lie to one another merely in our imagination. These things actually come out of our mouths. We need to love God with our strength as well as our hearts and minds. We need to not just think good things of others, but to speak well of others also. We need to keep our hearts, minds and practice in check. We need to apply ourselves. To set our hearts and minds on the high places of Christ and to carry out his imagery in our actions. We can help each other with these things also. Speaking the truth in love, we can help each other rest and dwell on the things of Christ and by God's strength start planning to implement Christ-like habits and activities. And the final bombshell of affecting our practice that I'm going to speak to as you might have guessed it, the S word, sex, sexual immorality. It's in our passage and it's in our society, knocking on our doors. 
Prostitution is legal in our country. Tinder is readily accessible. And casual sexual relationships seem to be all the norm. And just to be clear, the word translated for sexual immorality refers to sex outside of marriage, as N.T. Wright tells us. It relates to prostitution, one-night stands, indeterminate relationships involving sex. It's particularly important to end up in the high places in this area, on this bed of roses, rather than these. Our modern culture particularly struggles in this area, uh, not too differently from first century Rome as well. But in our society, we can see sexual immorality causing havoc in families and in the community. And yet we ask, what's wrong with sex outside of marriage as long as there is mutual consent? For us, there are two issues. Firstly, that God has designed sex for the safe and secure place of promised marital faithfulness. Our whole lives with that one person in an awesome, beautiful display of loving faithfulness and devotion. Sexual immorality tramples over that. And secondly, we're made for the Lord, made in the image of God, to reflect the specialness and purity of the relationship we have with him. Sexual immorality pollutes that also. Now, Christ is not about condemnation, and if we have failed in this area, there is forgiveness, but neither is he about staying in these beds of roses. We must get out of them. Finally, in verse 11, Paul tells us that as we focus on Christ, setting our hearts and minds on the things above and putting into practice our new way of life, we are being transformed into Christ's image. He is working in us. The Greek word for being renewed are in the present tense, relating to something ongoing that's in a continual process. Our new identity is being solidified in the knowledge and the image of our Creator, into Christ's likeness, the likeness of Jesus, the perfect man, God in the flesh, the image of he who created us to be like him in the Garden of Eden. To this vision of growth, God is working in us and calling us to participate. In different seasons, there are different things we need to deal with, different deserts we might find ourselves in, in different areas the Holy Spirit puts his finger on. What is God highlighting 